Episode 3, The Stock-to-Flow Model. In this episode, we're going to look at the Stock-to-Flow Model. What is it? What is the Stock-to-Flow Model? Well, the Stock-to-Flow Model is a mathematical model used to try and predict Bitcoin's value over the coming years. Judging by this model, Bitcoin has plenty of growing room over these years. It argues that by the end of 2021, or the start of 2022, Bitcoin will be reaching a price point well above $100,000. Predictions are the easiest things to make, but the most difficult thing to get right. For obvious reasons, because there are innumerable possibilities for the future, with all sorts of eventualities. Even so-called experts are often wrong about the future. People have tried to predict the future for millennia using all sorts of devices and techniques. From tea leaves to astrology, predictions have often been the work of mystics and conmen. Fortune tellers and mystics have used this future telling as a source of great income and sometimes political power. Some fortune tellers and seers became household names throughout history. Nostradamus was supposedly so great a seer that he was welcomed into the French court. Yet, with the unleashing of the scientific revolution, predictions themselves began to change. Not so much that people stopped predicting the future, but the seers and mystics began to die away, and predictions became based around the scientific method. Scientists began to use different models from what pre-scientific revolutionary mystics used, rather than claiming proof of the future from what happened in the stars, predictions began to be made using mathematics and other scientific methods to predict what might happen in the future. It was of course a very narrow form of future telling. Newton could predict the movement of the stars, not through guesswork or pseudoscience, but by rigorous and quantitative analysis of the specific orbiting of planets through his understanding of gravity. The prediction of the orbiting of Saturn may not feel like a huge event to some, but it does prove the scientific possibility of fortune-telling, and it does show that under the right conditions, mankind in some limited ways predict the future. Hypothesis and testing is now seen as a falsifiable way to prove or disprove predictions. The scientific revolution was the unleashing of these new techniques, which largely began to improve and expand over history. Einstein, during his golden age, made predictions that took over 100 years to prove, but he could make them with near mathematical certainty using the developments of, by then, 300 years of scientific technique. He knew many of his equations were right, and therefore what the logical outcome would be. It might have taken 100 years to prove some of his predictions right, but proved right they were. Einstein's theory of general relativity could not easily be tested, as it did not produce any effects observable on a terrestrial scale. Yet, one of the first tests of general relativity, the theory predicted that large masses such as stars would bend light, 
in contradiction to accepted theory. This was observed in a 1919 eclipse. This is what we call a hypothesis and then the testing of the hypothesis to result in the truth. Now predictions aren't just limited to high-level physics. We have sporting predictions and political predictions, which are mostly based on mere informed guess. But sometimes there is a little bit more than just pure guesswork. Opinions are sometimes mere hope, but today they can be based on certain elements of data crunching. Predictions are now big business. There are betting markets for everything. Not just down the local betting shop, but even more for high-brow activities. Futures markets are essentially high-level betting, which relies on being able to predict the future. Some of these bets are against the house, in the case of bookies or a casino, or against other people, such as when you short a stock. The businesses who take these bets have to try and predict what the outcome would be for the other side, and then price in the bet against the punter. This means the house will almost always win. Even if a few people win their bets, the majority won't. There is a lot of maths behind these betting models, based on future probabilities of profits and losses. Most predictions, therefore, are not as rigorous as Einstein's. The universe has set laws, gravity for example, the social world does not. It has too many disparate elements to ever be as rigorous as high-level physics predictions. Today, the vast majority of predictions are done by using statistics and datasets. Statistics are a branch of mathematics using the data of past events to try and infer what might happen in future. A branch of statistics can be used to try and use the data of past events to try and infer something that might happen in future. This is called statistical inference. It's less of a full-blown prediction and, well, an inference. It should not be taken as, because A happened in the past, B will certainly happen, more that because A happened in the past, maybe even B and C happened, and therefore there is a good statistical chance that D will happen. Today, there is widespread use of statistical inference, and the often related predictive inference. Trying to predict the future using this method is not always the best. The most obvious form of where this model falls down is that things that happened in the past might not affect the future as much as you might think. If you've tossed a coin 19 times and it lands on heads every single time, what chance does the 20th toss land on heads? Well, it's 50-50. The past has no relevance there. But such are the benefits of prediction that much time and energy is spent in trying to get the best way to predict the future. You don't need to have seen Back to the Future 2 to understand what results from being able to predict the future. Making money is normally the first thing people do who have insights into future events whether this be United States' congressmen and women at the start of the 2020 lockdown getting insider information about the coming lockdown and then selling all their stock, or the prevalence of match-fixing as criminals trying to fix sporting events 
so they know what will happen and can make huge profits. Stock market traders try and do the same. They try and find out what will happen in the future so they can make a lot of money. So this is how we get to Bitcoin. Mathematical models are now all the rage. Maths, or math if you speak American, is of course unfalsifiable, but humans are not. Mathematical models can be used to some extent and are trying to be used to predict the future. It's less about trying to predict the future and more about trying to infer the future from the past. It's in my opinion generally only marginally more successful than the average human predicting based on his knowledge of the world. Models can only pick up quantitative data, not qualitative data. Humans are far better at getting a feel and understanding for what's going on rather than simply raw data. Raw data has also many different problems of what matters and what doesn't and how much something matters, something that is almost impossible to quantify using pure numbers. The fallibility of this type of modelling has been shown to the world. At the start of the 2020 lockdown, the British government relied on, or should I say, used mathematical models as excuses to lock down the population. By inputting false and exaggerated data and presumptions into their models about the spread of the coronavirus, they scared much of the population into thinking they would instantly catch the virus and would die should they step out of the house. Similar is the much overread climate crisis. It is not based on observable events like sea levels actually rising or wild unusual climate events that have never happened before. It has always rained, always flooded, sometimes it gets warm, sometimes it gets cold. But this climate crisis is based on the predictions of mathematical modelling, based on data scientists think is important. If the underlying data or assumptions are wrong, which they might be, then the models will be faulty and won't be worth anything. If the underlying data and assumptions are right, we get a situation where mathematical and statistical modelling can be used to great effect to predict certain parts of the future. Even then, it's tricky assuming the events predicted don't have too many moving parts. You want as little statistical biases as possible and no black swan events. No climate modelling can or ever will, for example, assume that in 10 years time an asteroid strike destroys half of East Asia. It's just not something anybody can predict. One should also be aware that models could become a form of self-fulfilling prophecy, which, depending on your point of view, may or may not disprove the original model. That's an existential question I'll leave for the philosophers out there. So how does Bitcoin fit in to what I've been talking about? Well, actually, very neatly. Unlike stocks, human beings, or alleged deadly viruses, there are far fewer moving parts when it comes to Bitcoin. Humans aren't mathematical models, so you have to make a mathematical model for human behaviour when trying to come up with statistical modelling for the stock market or for the spread of alleged deadly viruses. Yet, Bitcoin was programmed as a mathematical model. 
Surely this should be easier than almost anything else to make a model and to apply it. The stock market is not a mathematical model. It's made up of dividends, profit and loss, fund managers, the decisions of CEOs and much else. A stock market, in short, has far more moving parts than Bitcoin does. So this gets us to the stock-to-flow model. The stock-to-flow model is a prediction. It is an attempt to predict the future based on past events. But fairly uniquely is that into the model can be programmed future events. Now that's quite rare. If I were to bet on the 2025 Premier League champion, I would have a fairly good bet with, say, Manchester United, City or Liverpool if I were betting today in 2021. But say I could look in 2021 at the Premier League table of the 2024 edition. If it said Manchester United had won the league by 15 points, that would be invaluable information going into the next year, from which I could statistically infer that they were, by some degree, the best team in the league in the previous year, and so therefore might have a decent chance of it happening again next year. So with Bitcoin, we have almost got this. The nature of supply, the supply of Bitcoin decreases every four years, and it's programmed in. There's nothing anybody can do about it. So you know some part of the future. You do not need to worry that a central banker can add another million bitcoins into the system. It is impossible. So, with supply limits baked into Bitcoin's mathematical model, you only really need to worry about the demand side when it comes to predicting Bitcoin's price. The stock-to-flow model might be a predictive inference based on past events, but it also has the benefit of knowing the future. So what is a stock-to-flow model? Well, as I hope you've guessed, it is a statistical model. Hopefully, the past few minutes of this podcast has made you wary of using statistics to predict the future. And hopefully it has shown you how Bitcoin models might have an added advantage in opening itself up for predictive inference, as the supply side is already baked in. So... The stock-to-flow model treats Bitcoin as a commodity in exactly the same way as gold or silver. These commodities too are store of values. They have limited supplies with fluctuating demand. Stock-to-flow ratios merely suggest the evaluation of a stock of a commodity against the flow of production. The stock-to-flow chart, which, if you haven't seen before, is only a DuckDuckGo search away, shows dots on the price line of a chart that demonstrates the supply shock of a Bitcoin halving event. Every halving event reduces the number of Bitcoins given as a reward for mining new blocks. There is an instant 50% reduction in the halving for every four years for verifying the blockchain's transactions. This is the reduction of supply we talked about earlier and it is baked into the programming of Bitcoin itself. The supply side is unchangeable. So, the Bitcoin stock-to-flow model was published in 2019 by a pseudonymous Dutch, I guess you would now call him statistical economist, 
who has worked as an institutional investor. This model has attracted a lot of criticism, praise and attention. Going by the name of Plan B, with a Twitter handle 100 trillion, the model was made using similar models that had been used for predicting the price of gold, with Bitcoin being called digital gold, though I prefer to call gold analog Bitcoin. Plan B found that when he applied this stock-to-flow model to Bitcoin, there was a statistically significant relationship between the stock-to-flow model and Bitcoin's price. Now, it was published in 2019, so the usability, really, of the stock-to-flow model can only really be proved once it has gone at least through one full four-year halving process. Published in 2019, before the last halving process, it suggests a huge price rise at the end of 2021 and beginning of 2022, as the results of the last halving process becomes more apparent and there becomes a general scarcity of bitcoins. That takes a year or two for the market to fully factor in. Plan B's model estimates bitcoin's market value to reach $5.5 trillion between 2020 and 2024, translating to a Bitcoin price of around $288,000. This is seemingly a long way away, but we've learned never to write Bitcoin off. So what do I think of the stock-to-flow model? Is it accurate? Almost certainly, it is not accurate per se, but it doesn't have to be totally accurate. Models are models. It should be treated as indicative of Bitcoin supply and demand, not meant to be 100% accurate. Though I do think the stock-to-flow models does underlie a fundamental truth. Bitcoin is number-go-up technology. The exact numbers Plan B's model suggests will probably not come to pass, yet the general pattern of the model is in my opinion accurate. Around 12 to 18 months after the halving, when the supply dips and miners are mining less, the price will go up. It is simply supply and demand. The exact price points the Plan B model suggests are not rules, mere indications. Like all models, it could suffer from a black swan event. If an asteroid hits New York or the Three Gorges Dam collapses, causing economic shockwaves around the world, the Bitcoin price will take a hit, as will the rest of the economy. I think much of the criticism of the model is that people simply cannot believe Bitcoin will reach prices of that high in that shorter time. But I would also go the other way and say it might be underestimating demand. Bitcoin is not a commodity we've ever seen before. It shares resemblances with gold and silver, for sure, but it has a supply side that is completely fixed, and this will result in demand being completely unprecedented. Bitcoin is exponential growth technology, and the level of exponential growth we may have never seen the likes of which before. The reliance on a model that has predominantly been used for analogue commodities may underestimate the network effects of a true internet commodity. Plan B has updated the model and we'll probably have to do so again in the future, just to take into account either huge price rises 
or huge price of dips. Plumby himself has said the best argument against the stock to flow model comes from the efficient market hypothesis. The efficient market hypothesis' argument is that the model is based on information available to all. Plumby's model may have already been priced in by people like me, the one million people who follow him on Twitter, and the millions more, including many of the asset and allocation managers of the world, who will probably have seen the model. Yet, I think at the moment, it's unlikely to have been priced in. If the model becomes a rule in several halvings time, it might start to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, and become a general economic rule, rather than just a speculative model. But for now, watch and follow the stock-to-flow model. All models work until they don't. The model can be broken on the upside or the downside. But I think being broken on the upside is at this point more likely than on the downside. And I and millions of others are hoping that will be true too. The model has not yet gone through a full halving cycle. This is really what we need to ascribe the validity of the model to Bitcoin's price relative to US dollars. It may prove a self-fulfilling prophecy for some, who will wait until Bitcoin's price hits the price the stock-to-flow model suggests before selling, keeping the price somewhat in line to the model. It may see exponential growth far beyond the model's capacity that it does not yet account for, requiring it to get a further update. I am a fan of Plan B's model. It is not perfect, and he has never claimed it to be perfect, but it does hint as an underlying fact. Bitcoin is number go up technology. So thanks for listening to that episode. In the next one, I am going to do a textual analysis of Satoshi's white paper. Everybody should read the white paper and everybody should understand it too. So until next time, I'll see you then.